A quick hello and we're good to go. Welcome to the show, my Capuzzi. Slightly better when I sing it. Brilliant. <laughs> Let's start with the first screen because I was looking at your 100-page shook and we're going to talk about shooks as we go through the show. And it says, just do a Google search on Mike Caputi and see what others think. That is my whole bag. I read that as I read through the book, My Promise to You. Um, absolutely brilliant. I'm so pleased that somebody else is thinking, what appears when my audience Googles my name? And what does Google perceive other people's opinion of me to be? Incredibly important. So we're going to look at your brand set. What appears when your audience searches your name and your podcast is there, your site is there. That's great domination. That That's a, a really nice top of brand set. Um, I really do like it. And then I started investigating your books, which is the next screen. And your books or your shooks rather, we have what is a shook and the magic of short books and then three of your books. So Generally speaking, you're dominating your space, your own name, definitely dominating, and the idea of shooks. Now, before we get going, and I'll, I'll come back to this, can you just tell us what a shook is before we start anything else? So, Jason, a shook stands for a short, helpful book. So it's, it's our brand. It's our special sauce. There's a lot of people that help others publish books. So we wanted to come up with something unique, something that we can own. And we've come up with the term a shook, and it's a nonfiction business oriented book. Right. Okay. So if I tried to shorten brand SERP, it would be burp. <laughs> that doesn't work, does it? Yeah, it okay. Could, but it doesn't quite work. SERP is good, though, right? Yeah, SERP is good, but I didn't invent it. Okay. So shook, I mean, I would have just thought short book, but short, helpful book, actually, that, that triplet really does nail it home, doesn't it? Well, it's funny. You, actually, it's funny you, you mentioned that, Jason, because originally I was just saying short book, right? But then I started realizing there's a lot of crappy books out there. And I think when people think, oh, it's a short book, well, it's even going to be even crappier because it's, you know, how much, how good could it be if it's 100 pages? And that's why we took the H and made that helpful because we want these short books, which can be read in about an hour, to be helpful to the reader that gives him or her what they are looking for. So, yes, being helpful, serving the reader is a critical part of a shook. Right, yeah, no, I mean, and, and the idea that longer is better, I mean, if you look at the Iliad, uh, <laughs> I have a, a friend when he was a drummer in our band back in the 90s, and he brought the Iliad on tour, and we played together three years, and I don't think he finished it. <laughs> um, longer isn't necessarily better, and as Mark Twain apparently said, if I'd had more time, I would have written less, which mm -hmm. I absolutely love, because we don't half repeat ourselves uselessly. Mm -hmm. um, and a short book can be full of value and full of important information. And it's, I mean, it's somewhere between an extended article and a shortened book. Yeah, I mean, they're real books. I mean, the paperback version, you know, just showing it here. It's it's a real book. It sits up on bookshelf. Uh, it, it's really meant to be about a one one to two hour read. So it, it's it's right. meant to be highly focused, which obviously helps with search engine results. So we'll talk about that. But it, it's it's really the promise of a shook for the reader is a that the big idea that it's focused on, and b you can read you can get on a plane 
in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where I'm at. And by the time you're in Chicago, you're done. And by the, if I were to fly where you are, Jason, I could read a couple shooks. Brilliant. Well, in fact, I'm going to be going to Italy soon to visit my friends at Wordlift. And that's a two-hour flight, so I can read a shook during that flight. And if we can just show the next screen, next week we've got a double bill. I'm just going to announce that really quickly. For the geeks amongst you, Semantic SEO, measuring Semantic SEO results using Google Data Studio, GA and GSC. That's with Wordlift, and it's our monthly roundtable. And as I said, I'm going to go to Rome in a few weeks to see my friends Andrea and Gennaro Cofano as well um, in Italy. And what I was thinking is I might actually get one of your shooks and read it. And before we carry on, just really quickly, the sponsors as well. Um, this week's sponsors is, in fact, just the partner Wordlift plus our own services. But first of all, Caddy Cube Tuesdays every week, join me to speak to people like Mike, who are incredibly interesting, incredibly informative, full of information. And this is all produced in partnership with Wordlift, who are an absolutely awful, awful, oh dear, awesome, excuse me, <laughs> uh, <laughs> platform. Oh no, the terrible faux pas. And I wanted to announce the awful knowledge panel management service done for you service by CaliCube. And if I'm going to say awful about one, I will say awful about everything. Mike, you are awesome. Yeah. I can't do it to you. I'm sorry. I don't know you that well. Yeah. So let's come back to, to Shucks. Now, what I wanted to know is who is this for and who isn't it for? Mm. Because that gives us a really good starting point to understand who might want to just tune out now and who wants to keep listening. <laughs> so it's not for anybody who's writing, writing fiction. Um, it's not for anybody who approaches marketing from a very academic a viewpoint because a, a shook, I, I have a marketing background, Jason, marketing mm. and sales. So these are meant to be marketing and sales tools. Uh, you, that means you can't shy away from. So the other person it's not for is what I would call a book purist. Oh, you know, you can't sell in a book. You can't promote in a book. You can't ask people to go online and opt in in a book. Right. And there's people that think that way. Um, it's not yeah, for those I people. I actually have to say, I wrote this book, The Fundamentals of Brand Search for Business, and the people who helped me at Bright Ray Publishing kept saying, you need to upsell your courses, you need mm. to upsell your business. And I found it very embarrassing. I found it slightly disconcerting. I didn't feel comfortable. What do you say to me about that? Well, you probably should stop listening to this podcast episode. <laughs> right. Okay, brilliant. That's a very good answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, no, but no, listen, I, I think kind of one thing I, I would think about is the fact that it's actually got some upsells and it doesn't make the content less valuable. Here's here, let me let, I'll shift your way of thinking or maybe someone else's way of thinking, Jason. And by the way, just for everyone's you know who's listening, I the way you and I met is you were on my podcast, The Author Factor, yeah. because and your book is a great little you know it's a great book. I mean, it's not a shook, but that's okay. But look at it this way, Jason. When someone reads a book, they're looking for information. They're, they're, yeah. Again, we're talking nonfiction, business-oriented. They're, they're seeking something. And if you, the author, provides good content, there's going to be a percentage of readers that are going to want more from you. Now, yeah. a traditional book author is going to be like, oh, well, you know, go, go to my – maybe they'll say go to my website – but that's not what readers are looking for. They want more. So a shook typically has two pathways built into it for those readers who want more from you. An active, we call it the active path, 
pathway and the, the passive pathway. I'm more, I'm more than happy to share more details about that. But it gives readers who want more to get more from you. And why would you right. ever shrink away from that? Why would you ever think that's a bad thing to do? Because I'm British. Um, <laughs> and and you, you immediately think, oh, I can't do that. But yes, you can, because if somebody wants to, they will. And if they don't want to, obviously they won't. <laughs> and the only idiotic thing to do would be excessively pushy about it, in yes. which case you don't yes. respect your own personality. Yes. Yes, I agree with that, and that doesn't have, that has nothing to do with being British. I mean, listen, <laughs> you and I probably have both seen books or marketing content where it's just ridiculous, right? Yeah, that's not what this is about. Again, serve the reader, be helpful, and that if you do it right, I believe it gives you the, you permission as the author, as if you need it, to then make other offers within your book. For those interested readers right and, and before we get into kind of the the details of how long the this a shook should be and and exactly how you present it and how you publish it and how you write it and how long it takes can you just tell me what you mean by book centric marketing strategy well the, the beauty and and you probably already know this but as a book author one of the reasons why I think any business owner, corporate leader, entrepreneur should think about writing a nonfiction business book is because it allows him or her to market differently than their competition. So most of us have competition. Um, so it's key to be different than the competition. It's it's key to, to per, offer unique value, unique reasons why to work with you. When you are a book author, you can tap into the power of marketing your book first, right? So it's about, you know, marketing your book, advertising your book versus the way most people in your business market, which is, hey, I'm a dentist, I'm a doctor, I'm a chiropractor, whatever it might be. You know, I do the same thing that everyone else does versus, hey, I wrote a book on how to, you know, reduce back pain, get it here. So it's just right. book centric marketing is about creating a marketing strategy built around your book. Now, yeah, I mean, what I've seen with my book is that I didn't sell as many as I thought I would, and I definitely didn't make any money. Uh, certainly didn't even make the, the 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 initial outlay back. It took me six months. It's 150 pages, which when I look at how long a shook is, I kind of think I was very, very slow, and I overly perfected it. But mm -hmm. it's I think it's a very valuable book, and I think it's well-written, and it's a page-turner, and I'm terribly pleased with it. But it took a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of investment. And at the end of the day, the book itself doesn't make money. Mm -hmm. So it, how do I make a, money? That's Well, first of all, that's a very accurate assessment. And we always try to, when we work with our clients, one of the first things I try to make sure they understand, this is not about making money selling books. Now, there are a ton of authors on Amazon, for example, that do make a lot of money selling their book. There's a lot of marketing behind it, et cetera, et cetera. So there are opportunities, but I don't want that to get in the way for the kind of books that you and I would write. And had you and I talked about this you know, prior to you writing that first book, I would have tried to shift your way of thinking. The money for guys like you and me, it's made on the back end of the book. So right. no lie, just last week, Jason, we got two new clients, and this happens all the time, this is how we're in business, that you know read my book, and they're now clients, you know. So it's about, you know, encouraging people to read the book. It's about encouraging people then to, you know, reach out to you in the book. And then, you know, you're making your money on the back end. And with the kind of service you provide for, you know, SERP and all that, 
uh, you yeah. know, that's that's where you would be making it. Yeah, no, in my book, just like in your book, I keep saying, oh, Google my name. Um, and I don't know how much people actually do it, but it, it's certainly, from my perspective, at least a very good way for me to demonstrate what it is I'm offering. And for me, the book, now I look at it from a year down the line after starting it, it really is just an expression of what it is I'm trying to communicate. And ideally, I would just have people read it for free. Mm-hmm. And if they read it for free, they will immediately say, well, actually, now I understand that I need to do more about this. Take the courses, get on the CaliQ Pro platform, get the done-for-you service, whatever. Um, what do you think about giving it away? It's 150 pages, six months of stress. Oh, right. <laughs> so I wrote a show called The Magic of Free Books. And Jason, you'll appreciate this. The free book strategy goes back as far back as the late 1800s. I, I write about it in there where, uh, of all things, a mattress manufacturer, a bedding manufacturer used a free book strategy, which I found in the late 1890s, early 1900s. The point again, Jason, is when you have a book that's designed to be not, you know, <clears throat> given away, if you will, or sold at a you know low price. And again, not to make money on the book, but it's designed to be used as a marketing and sales tool. Um, there's a lot of opportunities. I mean, the reason you were on my podcast is because you were a book author. You know, that's part right. of a book-centric marketing strategy. So there's a lot of things you can do with a short book that's written to be a marketing and sales tool that uh, I just think is very powerful. Right, yeah. I, all the way through that part, I'm afraid I was listening to you, but all I could think of was Flea Free Sleep Easy is the name of the mattress book manufacturer's book, yeah? Uh, yeah, I don't know if it's that. I think it was Ostamore, and it's the, the oh. book was actually, um, oh, I forget, it's something with time. Right, anyway. okay. S- sleep all the time really deeply. I don't know why I was thinking about that. I was trying to invent this really nice iteration for a, for a book title for a mattress manufacturer in the late 19th century. But let's move on to um, I, I, the idea of authority through your shooks. Mm-hmm. I mean, EAT, Expertise, Authority, and Trust, is incredibly important to Google. And books, what I've seen from publishing this, is immediately that builds up this authority. It builds up confusion as well for Google, but that's a topic for another day. <laughs> what do you mean by shook-centric authority? Well, I mean, most book authors, and even in this day and age where it's a little bit easier to become a book author because Amazon's mm-hmm. made it easier, you know, most people perceive book authors as experts, as yeah. you know, an authority in what they do. I mean, I can again remember when you and I first met. I did what everyone does. Well, I don't know what everyone does, but this is what I do. I Google, right? I Googled you. Yeah. I didn't know who you were, um, and then I'm like, wait, all these. I found all these articles and like all this stuff that you're like. And then, if you recall, when we got on to do our my podcast episode, I was like, you you own that space. And then that's when I learned this is what you do for a living. Yeah, but that I mean. That authority is ultra powerful. And it, it's not a short-term play, Jason, as you well know, right? Building authority takes time, and it's about a long-term game. You know, it's something that you invest in. It's something you do. It's something you continue to build and tweak um, because no one can take that away from you. Once you're an author, once you're an established, you know, recognized authority in something, you know, unless you screw something up big time, no one's taking that away from you. Right. And 
Ashok is how many pages? I mean, I, I understood it's about 100 pages. Yeah. Uh, is that the minimum yeah. amount is on the line? Yeah, it typically is about 100 pages. And, these, and they're, again, they're real They're a little smaller, by the way. We, don't, we do a little different size than a traditional business oh, book right. just to make it a little different. But about 100 pages, Jason, typically 12 to 15,000 words. My guess is your book was probably, probably you know, 40, 50,000 words. Yeah, no, that's about right. I mean, we've got a friend called Karei uh, Kare, uh, Gabur, and he writes articles. He wrote um, a review of CaliCube Pro, 25,000 words, and that's an article. Wow. Yeah, exactly. And that's it was two initially. Shooks. That's two shooks. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it was initially 40,000 words, and I had to get him to break it down into three chunks. Hmm. And he he just seems to write like, it flows out of him. And um, for most of us, it's not like that, isn't it? I mean, it, it meant struggle to get to 12,000 words. It can. It can. But, you know, again, it's about a shift in thinking. I mean, we if, if you're in business, if you're a corporate leader, chances are you're already helping people. Chances are you're already having conversations. Like a shook mm. is a conversation starter. It's a conversation just in book, you know, in book format. So... It's not about Jason writing the next Iliad. It's not writing about the next, you know, you know, Pulitzer Prize winning book. That's not what this is about. This is a conversation of about an hour in time in book format between you and an ideal reader. So I always say, you know, stress less about perfection, more about personality. Let your personality come through. Let people, you know, get to know you through your shook. And, um, you know, that, right. that to me is much more powerful than being perfect. But you talk about conversation. Isn't a book a monologue? Well, not if it's a shook. We encourage, <laughs> right? We, we encourage interaction. So, again, you'll see it through. That's something that always annoys me with books. And, and, and for years and years, you're seeing it shift now. But for years and years, authors hid behind their books. Right. Um, and they would just explain everything. Yeah, explain everything. Kind of and, you know, even if they had a website, it wasn't there because the publisher didn't allow it or whatever. Like, how do you find more? Well, now with the kind of stuff you do, obviously people can find more, you know, through search engine. But I believe it's the exact opposite, especially when you're designing the book to be used as a marketing tool. You want to encourage engagement. I give my email in my book. I tell people to email me. I tell people to, you know, I encourage I, I encourage them to go download free content. I want this to be an interactive experience. Right. Okay. And you were talking about the website. Do you create a website for every single book with mm -hmm. a domain name for every single book? No, no. And, and only because... Um, I haven't. I did for the hundred-page book, I saw and, that. and I did yeah. that strategically. So that ah. maybe you and I even talked about that on my podcast. But the hundred, I wrote the hundred-page book to see. I, I've always poo-pooed the whole Amazon number one bestseller thing, right? Because it's right. it's kind of very easy to rig. But I I wanted to get serious about it and see if I could become an Amazon number one bestseller. And I did the right thing, which is I researched how it works, how the algorithms work, yeah. what it takes to become a, a legitimate number one bestseller. Ironically, Jason, that book, the 100-page book, was two years ago, published two years ago in July. I just checked today. It had the number one bestseller tag, the Kindle version, just today. Two years later, it's still right. selling. We've sold thousands and thousands of copies. Um, but that isn't actually a, a topic or a title that anybody would naturally search for. How do you do that? Well, that one I did because I wanted it to be different. I wanted when someone because they're searching on how to write a book, how to publish a book, 
The first one I wrote was The Magic of Short Books. I didn't think that was as good, but it turned out it was pretty good. So the short book idea. The 100-page book was just a variation. So it was done very strategically. I I mean, I literally did like a PhD level study on keywords, on categories. This is on Amazon now, which is all relevant even to you know Google and stuff like that you're doing. And for that one, we did do a website per your, you know, your question, because again, when we launched the book two years ago, we wanted an easy way to send people. We wanted to show pictures, yada, yada, yada. So it was done very strategically. Um, and uh, it's been a tremendous book for us. I mean, so a lot of that was obviously you did the research, you launched it, but it's generally speaking with Amazon, at least it's once it starts selling, Amazon will tend to push it mm-hmm. and it will therefore continue to sell. It, it, it helps. It doesn't, it's not the end all panacea, but it does that sales and good reviews help that book stay, you know, sort of in the top of Amazon's uh, mind share. Right. And do, do you need a big idea? I mean, kind of, you, you've got this, this big idea of shooks, short books, bite-sized books. I mean, purple cow versus big ideas. I, I actually read your book so i know more than i usually do when i'm interviewing guests purple cow versus big idea uh i you know i don't know if it's there is a difference necessarily so the purple cow is you're referencing seth godin who's a great author he wrote a book a short book called uh uh and it's a short helpful book too but it's um he wrote a book called purple cow which i'd recommend anyone checking out and in there he describes you know purple cow is something that's different something that's remarkable you know, you see a purple cow, it's remarkable. So you want your idea, you want your business, you want your service to be remarkable, to be different. So that's that's what purple cow is about. The big idea is a marketing concept, meaning anything, whether it's a book, a podcast, an ad, an advertisement you're putting together, a keynote, a TED Talk, whatever it is, it should be wrapped around a big idea, something that sounds new and different. It may not be because the odds of it being new and different are, you know, in this day and age are pretty slim. It doesn't mean it can't happen, but it needs to sound new and different. It needs to feel new and different. Um, mm. And that's, you know, at a, at a high level what a big idea is. Right. Okay. No, I was talking uh, here. Somebody told me, oh, you're an idiot for calling that book The Fundamentals of Brand Search for Business, which is the most boring book title in the entire universe. You should have called it Educating Google, How mm. to Educate Google because that's both a purple cow and a big idea. So now mm-hmm. I'm focusing much more on Google is a, a child that's hungry to learn, and we need to learn to teach it. And there you go. Cube, we have there learned to teach yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my purple cow. Google is a child, is a purple cow, and it's also a big idea. So uh, I was looking at that and thinking, yeah, I've totally missed the boat here. But you, but you know what, Jason? See, that's I get so what you're, what you're saying. That's why a second book. So, you know, I would love to say I, my, all my shooks I thought out very logically, which I didn't. And yeah. I realized I, maybe I made a mistake with the first one. So I needed to write another one to sort of clarify it. You you could easily so instead of reading a book between a now and you have sorry Anton's showing us a purple yes. cow for people listening to audio. Excuse me, Mike, I cut in. I was say I was just going to challenge you, Jason. Instead of like reading a book between where you are in Rome, why don't you just write a shook? <laughs> write a shook on right, the plane. In the, in the plane, actually, yeah, that isn't a bad idea because on the plane you're just sitting there getting really. Bored. At least outline it, right, Jason? Just, at least yeah. you can you could at least do the outline in that whatever it is ninety minute two hour flight. I actually had a really interesting experience. Well, interesting for me, at least, is flying back from Australia to Paris. Oh, yeah. 
it was a really long flight, and I was thinking, all right, what shall I do? Shall I sleep? <laughs> and what I ended up doing is is writing the article, um, Darwinism in Search, is how mm. Google functions on Darwinistic principles. And that entire flight, I just did that, mm. and it was actually incredibly productive. And one of the nice things is because there are no distractions, because all you can do is get up and go up to the toilet, that's pretty <laughs> much all you can do on an airplane, I actually ended up being able to write the article that I think I probably would never have written mm. otherwise. Planes aren't bad, for that no. at least. No. It's probably one of the few things. Yeah, no. For getting from A to B, it's pretty yeah, good as well. That's, but, yeah, that's, yeah. Okay, right. I will set myself the target of writing the shook outline on my plane to see word left in Rome. And, and, and I would, the only other challenge I would give you, Jason, because I know you're, you're a smart guy, you're a more academic, you think, you think technically. Even yep. the edu, you know, what did you, what was the working title you thought? Educate, how to educate Google? Google is a child who's eager to learn. We need to learn to educate. Them. Right. So that's the big idea, right? But yeah. you would even want to, and I don't want to use the word, but I'm going to use it anyway. Dumb it down even easier. You need to make it because what you do is pretty. It, it's it's technical. It's hard to grasp, but if it can be articulated in such a way, you know, so like a, a title like how to make Google do what you want. That would be to me like right off the top of my head. That would be like a really like oh, how to make Google do what I want? Yeah, I want to be number one. You know yep. that. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I, yeah, I like the idea of Google as a child. But what I also don't realize, and you're right, is that a lot of the stuff I talk about, I just think, yeah, well, of course. Mm. And I've got clients who who earlier on today, I was just talking to them, and it, it's difficult to be get to get to the stage where you say, actually, all of this knowledge I have has been accumulated over 20 odd years. And it seems obvious to me, but it wasn't obvious to me 10 years ago, five years ago, whatever it would be. And so in, in terms of that, there you go, here's some advice I would like. In terms of writing a shook, A, how long does it take from thinking about it to actually publishing it? And B, how do you stop going off on all sorts of mm. different tangents? Two good questions. So the first question is, our world record for a shook is 23 days from idea, Ooh. initial idea, to printed book in hand. 23 days is the world record. It was from a lawyer who's actually written several shooks. Now, she had and that a team. Includes, that includes the USPS being very slow. Uh, well, that was uh, we did Amazon for that one, and it came very. No, actually, it wasn't. It was our it was uh, our book printer. So our book printer was FedEx. It was pretty quick. So it, it can on, be, okay. it can happen. Um, so twenty three days is the from idea initial. Now she had a team helping her. So this is not like right. you on the plane by yourself type of thing. Typically, Jason, with our clients, it's an eight to twelve week process because right. we walk through, we talk about their big idea, we outline. And there's a lot of like you know, there's a lot of little nuances to a shook that are part of a shook that we have to you know uncover. So you know, I you could definitely have it a, a new shook ready to go by January 1, 2023, no problem. Right. Um, what was your second question? This is what happens when you Second question is how do you stop yourself going off oh, on yeah, sorts see, of tangents <laughs> and losing your focus? Right. Which is one of my major problems in life well, there, so the, every day. Every yeah, day, sorry. so a couple quick ideas. One, you it's always critical to have an outline. So you're, you're outlining essentially it's like the table of contents of your, your shook. That is your outline. That's what you're writing to. Um, so that kind of keeps you focused. You're right. Obviously, and this is going to be a sales plug, working with someone like myself, I'm going to keep you accountable. I'm going to keep you on track to make sure we're not doing that. 
and it's 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 very real. It's very real. Um, I'm working with a client right now. His friend, <laughs> he he sent a, a couple, just a couple chapters, and he was already over the limit for the entire shook. I'm like, now right. he was piecemealing content together, so that's part of the part of the reason why. So he's in that sort of you know uh, whittling away phase. Again, if you go at it from a different viewpoint and say, listen, I'm trying to help somebody. I want to help them in about an hour so they don't get bored. They don't stop reading. They don't, you know, I don't lose them. And this is not about teaching them everything about SERP. This is just one part of it. Maybe there's a couple of shooks you have. You know, you got to remind yourself what the goal is. This is not the mm. encyclopedia of SERP. This is uh, or Google, you know, educating Google. This is one part of that. So rather than write one 300-page book, Jason, write three 100-page books. Break it up. Obviously, that's going to help a search engine because now you have three books instead of one. I mean, yep. that's that's the beauty of what you and I are talking about here. Right, 100%. And that's absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much, Mike. That was a really, really nice way to conclude it. Three books instead of one, writing three 100-page books rather than one 300-page books. And now that I say it, I think you practice saying that because it's actually quite <laughs> difficult to say. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. Thank you, everyone, for watching. Thank you, Anton, behind the scenes. We're going to introduce next week's show and have the passing of the baton. And next week, it's George Capernaros, the key of retention for e-commerce, sponsored by WordLift and Ahrefs. And I'm really looking forward to this because I have no idea what the key to retention for e-commerce is. So, Mike, could you pass the baton? Well, for sure. Next week's episode is going to be a good one. Jason's guest, as he mentioned, is George Capaneros. George helps launch and grow direct-to-consumer e-commerce brands and has been involved in more than 200 product launches in virtually all tier one countries. His specialty is reducing the cost of acquiring new customers, increasing their purchase frequency, and reaching them at scale. So it should be a great uh, podcast episode. Can't wait to hear it, Jason. Brilliant. Thank you so much. And I love the photo because he's looking at you throughout that, as you said <laughs> that, with, with such power, delight. Mm. I think it's a great photo, and I think it's going to be a great topic. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Anton. See you next week. Oh, a quick goodbye to end the show. Thank you, Mike. I forgot the song.